Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I'm Mr. Forrest. Thank you so much for joining us. This week, I have a conversation with Parvati Marcus, who wrote a book called Whisper in the Heart. She edited this, put this all together. Uh, it's, it's kind of a series of books. You might have heard of uh, me talk about the book Love Everyone or Miracle of Love, various stories of Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba, Ram Dass's guru, and someone that has brought a lot of magic into my life and many people's lives. So essentially, this is a book, Whisper in the Heart is a book that collects stories of people who never met Maharaji in the flesh, in physical form, but still felt they had transformative experiences of him in their lives. And uh, there's a story from myself in there, as well as Radha and, and many others. And kind of the, what, what I think the magic of a lot of these, these stories are is that just by reading them, it seems to engender some kind of fairy sparkle dust in your life. Now, I know that sounds odd, but even myself at times, like as time goes on, I, maybe I get skeptical of that. And then I start getting back into this, like just by reading it. And it's true. Like there's been some wild shit going on for me in the last couple of weeks that's been love and positive and really helpful for me, particularly in preparing for this tour. I was, I was getting quite stressed out. And uh, I was just like, you know, I, I got to give this over. And I, I had this realization the other day of like, I am not in control, and that is grace. Like, thank God I'm not in control. And normally I would think of that when I say that phrase, I'm not in control, that seems like initially the, the, the knee jerk is like, that's, a, that's not a good thing. That should induce more panic feelings. And actually it's quite the opposite. The fact that I can let go and then be held by grace itself, by love, by the universe, by whatever you want to call it, that there is a larger current and flow and that I don't have to fight against it, and that that flow has meaning, has direction, has purpose, is huge for me. And all I can say is by, by, by just saying that and giving that over, I feel the grace, I feel the relief, and I feel being held. So that's a big deal for me. And that's just one example. Um, but anyway, we, we had a lovely conversation. Uh, and I, um, I know that you are going to enjoy it. I want to let you know about that tour, uh, Boulder, Colorado sold out. We're considering doing a second date. That's on November 1st. Uh, there's a wait list. You can sign up on the ticketing page. A couple other dates are getting really close to sellouts, including Vancouver and a few others. So if you want to come, please uh, join us. This is a wonderful ceremony concert tour around the west of the United States, November 1st through 20th, all over from Colorado to Idaho and Washington, Vancouver, Canada, down through Oregon, California, over through uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Looking forward to coming back there. And New Mexico, Santa Fe for the first time. And all the way over to Austin, Texas. Again, like one of our favorite places to end the tour. So go to eastforce.org, check that tour out. Also, we have this weekend, October 22nd, is a Journey Space event. Journey Space is like live online facilitated journeys. But what's really exciting about this one is I'll be pre premiering some new music that is exclusive to this experience. So I have a four-hour uh, new guidance music to guide you through your journey and your experience. And you can, you can, you know, journeys take many shapes and forms. So you can, 
join us in whatever way that feels right to you, but we're there as a community and a group. Uh, we do some preparation and integration circles afterwards. I often We often find that those integration circles are some of the real magic, some of the real medicine. Uh, so check it out. That's at journeyspace.com, or you can also go to eastforest.org and uh, click on the link for Journey Space and see that journey on October 22nd. We've got a couple more throughout the year. A uh, really exciting one in December, too, which I'm very excited to tell you about. It might be up there. Go check it out. Um, and also on October 28th will be our monthly Zoom council with our council on Patreon. Patreon.com slash East Forest. It's a great way to support this podcast if you're looking for a way to do that or to support the project. Thank you so much to all of our council members. You know, over on the council this month, I shared... This is something you maybe didn't know about, but I shared a little, uh, like an audio book of a chapter from my my book that I've been working on for like a couple years. It started just before COVID, and it's a long story. It's winding, not not the story in the book. Getting the book made is a long story, and uh, it's still in process. It's just more like I need, some things need to stay in the cooker a bit to complete it. And some other projects are taking the lead, like this documentary we're working on. And uh, But anyway, I, I just read aloud one of the chapters, and I put that on our council, because it's not something I'm really able to share publicly anywhere else right now. But privately, in our little group, we can do it there. So things like that, aside from other demos. And we're doing that monthly Zoom council uh, for those folks in our council member tier on October 28th. So check it out, patreon.com slash eastforest. And thank you, everyone on the council, for your support. Uh, I'm just about to leave southern Utah here in a couple days because uh, I got to get back up to uh, back up to Boise to do some final preparations and rehearsals for this tour. I can't believe it's it's about to start. This is amazing. I've been down here rehearsing like a madman and also finishing the mix on my next studio record, which is almost ready to send the mastering. So I'm very, very excited about that. That hopefully will be rolling out to you in the start of the new year. And I think it's amazing. It's just been an incredible process putting that together with lots of live musicians and uh, lyrics. Can you believe that? Okay. Let's get into this conversation with our dear friend, Paravati Marcus. Well, Paravati, thank you so much for for coming on the show and for working on this this book and including me and Radha. It's good to see you. You too. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if I told you, uh, but it was like the the second one of these books, Love Everyone, or is it Love Everybody? I think it's Love no, Everyone. No, Love right? Everyone. Yeah. yeah. Um, were you involved with that book too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think I, t- I might have mentioned that was, a, that was a big book for me just because it was... Sort of my, not my gateway into Ram Dass, but sort of my gateway into Maharaji. And mm-hmm. like just something about uh, reading those stories. And I would read them at night when uh, 
I was feeling kind of low and just made me feel good. And then that just led to me getting the picture, sort of the story I tell in that in that book. And, and things unfolded from there all the way till I was sitting with Ram Dass. And then things kind of popped in my head like, oh, there's something here. <laughs> like I, um, Would you like I, to read your story? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, I'll, I'll do that a little later maybe. But okay. uh, And I'm curious, like, I haven't read all of these yet. I just got back and got the book in the mail. But, like, I'm curious too, like, some of your favorite stories in here, because I know there's quite a variety. Yes. Or like, I mean, just even reading on what's on the back of this, I was like, oh my God, there's these are some interesting stories about, you know, someone bringing abuse to an end for a child in Australia. That definitely perked up my interest. So anyway, let's just start with, right. before we get That's into That's a wild that, story, that one. I'd like yeah. to know more. I mean. That's um, Little Paul, as he calls himself in the beginning of the story. Uh, mm-hmm. who was a child in Australia. He was around nine or nine years old. Yeah. And he had been, uh, you know, sexually abused by groups of men for years at that point. And uh, probably his siblings as well. Um, anyway, he came home from school one day late. Uh, nobody was home. His parents were both out working. He was the youngest kid. So everybody else was still at school. And he saw that the front door of his house was like blown open. And there was a window on the side of the house that was like blown. It's sort of like a bomb had gone off in the house. And he got very scared and he was alone and it was getting dark. And suddenly there was a gentleman showed up at the scene and wrapped him in a blanket and said to him, it's all done. And mm. that, that was all he could remember. After that, he totally blanked out. His parents, of course, you know, poo-pooed the whole thing, said there was nothing going on. It was the dog that did it, whatever. Right. <laughs> um, dog. But, but, you know, because he had been so, but after that, he was never abused again. And, of course, he had no idea what was going on. He was just never touched again. But because he had grown up with that kind of abuse, he got involved in an abusive marriage you know, and 20 years later had, you know, two teenage boys and got divorced finally and moved with the boys into um, a high-rise apartment in Australia. He said, a beautiful place, high-rise, you know, one side you looked over the ocean, one side was the mountains. And then one day he found himself with one leg over the railing of the balcony and was about to put the other leg over uh, when he suddenly felt this rush of love coming towards him. And he stepped back and he said, oh, my God, what about the boys? I mean, it, you know, it was suddenly so he pulled back. But once again, he had no idea what was going on. Many years later, he was uh, he got involved in a relationship with a woman in the States. And when he was here at some at one point, he saw either in a magazine or a book cover or something. He saw a picture of Neem Karoli Baba for the first time. And he looked at it and he said, oh, my God, that's the blanket that was put on me. And that's and the he, man. He hadn't put seen it on. an image of Maharaji never, before. He, no. Didn't have a relationship. Was, no. He was in Australia. He had no connection to it whatsoever. And uh, all of a sudden, I mean, this is many, many years later, he finds out that it was Maharaji. And as he's telling me this story, he's going, uh, you know, Um, I can remember that blanket. He says, I remember what it smelled like. I remember what it felt like. Mm. 
Hmm. He goes, and I'll never forget that day. He goes, it was September 11th, 1973. Hmm. And I looked at him and I said, do you know what that date is? He had no idea. I said, that's the day Maharaji left his body. <laughs> hmm. And that was the day that gentleman showed up with that blanket and told that nine-year-old it was all done. The abuse was over. It's remarkable. And yeah. so, you know, some people, let's say they, they don't uh, have much familiarity with you know, who Maharaji is. I mean, I'm guessing most people to this podcast do. But there's a temptation, you hear a story like that, to think of it almost literally, very literal. Like there's a spirit, you know, and he manifests as a man and 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 it's almost like a ghost. And, and then I and, – and when we think about the idea of guru – uh, I think that's almost what people react against is that it's almost like very uh, person- – it's personified so much as a human being and like that's sort of what you see It's because we see a lot of gurus as charlatans in a modern context. And then I look at this quote you know, right back on the front of the book. You know, Maharaji uh, turns on the light to give us a glimpse of what we truly are and to bring us back home to ourselves from Krishnadas there and – or this, I saw another line where someone's talking about like Maharaji, or the guru is just you looking out of your own eyes, in a sense. Well, that and, was what somebody told Krishna Das, you know, yeah. when he was, you know, depressed about Maharaji having left his body. And somebody said, Maharaji is what's looking out of your eyes. Yeah. So help us yeah. wrap our heads around this a little bit. You know, this idea that the guru is all that is, but also more than just. Uh, <laughs> like one being, <laughs> These one person. These are big concepts, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, but I know some... that's coming up for some people who are listening, just to like uh, uh, get a gateway into like, well, why are we telling stories about this person? Well, um, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first of all, just the word guru literally means the remover of darkness. Mm. And what a lot of people think of guru as, oh, my golf guru, or, you know, my, uh, you know, calling my yeah. spiritual teacher a guru. And that's what in India we learn to think of as teachers, the gurus. But then there, you know, those are upa gurus, those who sort of show you the way, show you how to do what it is you need to do. But then there's the sat guru, and sat guru means truth. So that is the guru that removes the darkness from understanding the truth of who you are. I love that. And that, that essence <laughs> can be um, embodied in a being. I mean, uh, there are so many saints in so many different traditions, and that is what you would consider them. You know, somebody who has that essence of unconditional love, who has that ability to remove the darkness of your ignorance that hides from you, who you the truth of who you are. Um, but of course, as I believe it was either Ramakrishna or Ramana Maharshi, one of those other Indian saints, who said, God, guru, and self are one. Mm-hmm. Which means when you come into that space, of truth, of the ultimate truth, of who you truly are, 
that essence of who you truly are is the same as that essence of who that Satguru truly is, which is the same as saying God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because does that help? Know, yeah, I mean, I guess just from the logic of like, if it's all one, that makes a lot of sense. So, it, but it seems like Ramdas and uh, folks who were around Maharaji sort of spoke almost like this ineffable energy that just immediately existed. Like that in itself caused some of these revelatory feelings, like just being. In the presence of, in the pre- yes. I guess I should ask first, Like, what is what is your story, your history with Maharaji? Well, I met Ram Dass back in 1969 and spent the summer at his father's farm during that famous summer of 69 <laughs> and uh, became his secretary. You know, I was, ans- I was listening to his replies on tape to all the snail mail he was getting at the time, <laughs> <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's how I started learning what all this was about. I mean, I had been brought there by a guy I met at a party who said, you want to go meet a saint? <laughs> and, sure. <laughs> and, and it was three weeks before I had taken acid for the first time. And so I was, you know, three weeks before I would have said, forget it, they don't exist. <laughs> but after mm-hmm. that experience of mm-hmm. oneness that I had on the acid, I was ready for anything. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and when we met Ramdas, all I could see was light coming from him. And by the end of that summer, it was like all we wanted to do was go to India and meet the being that had done this to Ramdas. Yeah, <laughs> we wanted, yeah. you know, go to the source <laughs> of where this was happening. And uh, two years later, I was in front of Maharaji. And it was the same time that Ramdas was there. I was there during his second trip to India. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and uh, tell us about your experience there a bit. I mean, not to sum, summarize the whole experience, but like, here's what I'm getting to is I, I remember when Maharaji and, and Ramdas first met. And initially, Ramdas speaks about his skepticisms being in the back, just like, look at this. And then, of course, the famous story of how Maharazi just burst him open with the story about his mother, which mm-hmm. is on the Ramdas album that we worked. He tells that story. Uh, so, in some ways, it's a nice story because it's a bit of a miracle, right? It's like a very clear cut. How did he know that? And it just breaks through all the shell of disbelief. Right. But I know for it comes in many shapes and sizes. The way people are cracked open. Uh, and I'm curious what your experience was like initially when, when you arrived. Well, I actually met, met Maharaji before I got to India. Just mm. like the stories in the book, um, uh, you know, Ram Dass had given me a little black and white picture of Maharaji when in, in New Hampshire. And, you know, the New Hampshire malas of the wooden malas. And after the summer was over and I was living in New York and I went to a friend's house and we split a tab of acid and um, the next day I was still having sort of astral problems, people reaching up for help, you know, things mm. that were getting a little scary. And Ram Dass was in Lama at the time, so I couldn't get in touch with him. They had no phone back then. <laughs> mm. And um, and I hadn't yet met Hilda, who became sort of my first meditation teacher. And so I sat in front of this little picture of Maharaji that Ramdas had given me, and I kept saying, I'm scared, you've got to help me. I'm scared, and you've got to help me. Sort of like the section in Whisper in the Heart. That's just a cry for help. Yeah. And um, 
suddenly the picture sort of dissolved in blue light and I was able to see Maharaji sort of moving in that picture or behind Mm -hmm. that picture or whatever you want to call it. And uh, it was just instantaneous. And uh, I suddenly felt like, okay, everything's fine. I can lie down and go through the rest of this trip. No problem. Um, So needless to say, after that, I got a much larger picture. (laughs) And I used to speak to this picture all the time. I used to talk to Maharaji. And sometimes I would think that I, I would see him there. When I finally got to India, uh, one of the first times I was with him, he said to me, you used to talk to my picture all the time. You asked many questions. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't I mean, go around telling people I talked to pictures, you know? <laughs> I was thinking about uh, Maharaji this morning and uh, because I was just here by myself rehearsing for this tour and I'm really frustrated and I'm swearing to myself and I was like I felt a sh- I felt a pang of like this is ridiculous and like I felt like oh I've I, I almost like swearing is low like it's it's I don't know I just had this weird guilt and shame came up and then I remember it's like I'm pretty sure people have told me Maharaj you swore like a sailor which <laughs> makes no sense to me but is that true Yes, absolutely. He used to basically call us sister fuckers. Um. (laughs) It it makes me so happy to hear that. It's almost like, why not? What does it matter? It's just all play. It's like, it's just, you know, that's just stuff. Yeah. I mean, you got to understand hanging with him. He was so funny. He would make us laugh all the time. I mean, he was not a teacher in the sense that he taught. I mean, there was no lecture. There was no curriculum. There was nothing we had to do. We hung out, literally. You know, he would talk about the, uh, Ramdev tells this wonderful story about he and Mohan being in this group of Westerners around, uh, or Indians around Maharaji at one point. And Maharaji asking Mohan, what's the price of milk in America? And Mohan gets into this whole conversation with him about how much milk costs in America. And Ramdev is sitting there thinking, what are we talking about here? I mean, <laughs> this guy's yeah, supposed let's to get be a to the, saint. Let's get to the spiritual let's stuff. Let's get to yeah. the spiritual stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he realized that what, you know, all that was happening was the mind was busy chattering about milk. And underneath that was this total bliss that he could just sit in. And it had nothing to do with the mind. And basically what Maharaji was showing us and being for us was the path of bhakti yoga, which is the devotional yoga, which is why you you have people doing these pujas and these ceremonies and these sort of worshiping of Maharaji as the representation, as the embodiment of that state of being that we want to get to, to that sat place of truth. So I'm hearing you say like the devotion to this individual is a bridge or a mechanism for the, you know, the larger Atman, the devotion to all, uh, Bhakti, the it's, and, and he, his incarnation in a sense was just exploding with not much there besides that, in a way. So, I mean, everything, I could understand maybe why he'd be so 
a lot full of humor because it's like why not you're it's just playing around with identity and personality and uh, well he was very different from i mean other gurus in india would have you know the men sitting on one side and the women on the other there'd be all these rules and sort of regulations about who could touch what and who could do mm -hmm. what maharaji had none of that mm. you know there were no it was just love <laughs> mm. it was simply just love and i dr larry brilliant talks about it that way, you know, where he said, while sitting in front of Maharaji, of course you felt this enormous love. I mean, that was his job. He was a saint, you know. It was his job to love us all. He said, the yeah. real miracle is when I sat in front of Maharaji, I loved everyone. Right. Right. Because I think some people uh, might wonder, like, well, how much of this is just projection? Like, you have these expectations, and so you just sort of create it in a way. I mean, you could argue what's the difference, but uh, there are plenty of people who went there with loads of skepticism. Uh, I remember in the other book, I remember that story, the guy who came with his wife and the whole bit where he's on the lake being like, uh, show me a sign, show me a sign kind of thing. Oh, that's Dr. Like Larry. That, Dr. that was Larry. Yeah. yeah I, love, I love that story. And yeah. then, you know, Maharaji <laughs> just has a lot of fun with that the next day, right before, right before he's about to leave, you know, and give it all in. <laughs> And then Maharaji steps on his hand as he's yeah. reaching for an apple that's fallen to the floor, <laughs> to the ground. Yeah, and says, were you looking for a sign? Yeah. <laughs> Do you need a sign? Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah, we had I, it. I mean, the thing uh, people don't understand is you're sitting in front of somebody who absolutely knows everything about you and has mm. shown you. I mean, just the way he said to me, you used to talk to my picture all the time. Or that yeah. he said to Ramdas, your mother died of spleen. You know, he, he, there was always these little hints that he gave us that let us know he knew what was happening with us. Mm. And yet you figure, well, okay, well, he knows that. That means he literally knows everything. And as Ramdas used to say, all the stuff he wants to hide, <laughs> Maharaji still knows everything and yet loves you unconditionally. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. I have a picture, a painting of Maharaji that was made by um, Elizabeth Hilton, who did the front cover of Maharaji for the album. And she also did this one of, of, uh, of Maharaji that's on the back of the vinyl. And it, the original is in our bedroom. So I, I see it every day when I wake up and when I'm going to bed. And this painting, it, it feels like it's like the Mona Lisa or something that looks at you differently, depending. And. And I, of course, am always in conversation with this, but I've gone through this evolution with it where I'm like, how much of this is just my projection and bullshit? I don't mean, what I mean, I'm actually going like a step deeper with him. I'm like, I don't think he's, like there are times where I'll look at it and I almost feel like he's frowning at me. I'm like, but is he? You know, or is that just me <laughs> frowning at myself? Or is it the same thing? Is it just my own judgment of myself and my shame? And like, that's actually what the voice is back to me. And, and like, and then I went through this whole thing of like, really, I think the response that I get from him is like, there's no words. It's like, what if it's just feeling and all the words is just my head making words. It's just words. your mind. Like, you know it's what I mean? And so the then mind. I was on this whole trip yeah. about like, it's just love. Like all this stuff I hear about that's it's punitive. It's like, that's just me, perhaps, you know? It's deep, but nonetheless, 
this painting looks different every single time I look at it. it just looks. That different. was like my photo. Yes, it's a so photo weird. where I could see him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that somebody uh, once asked uh, Ramdas used to say how he talked to Maharaji all the time. That that was his yeah. practice. You know, yeah. he talked to Maharaji, and somebody said, "Well, isn't that just your imagination?" And Ramdas said, "Well, of course it's my imagination. Of course, I mean, if I'm talking in my head, uh, right. you know, it's my imagination. But that's how." I connect to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, <laughs> it reminds me of one of my fa- favorite Terrence McKenna lines where uh, they talked about UFOs and seeing UFOs. And the person would always ask, yeah, but when you saw the UFO, were you loaded? Were you high? And he says, of course I was. That's why I saw the UFO. You know, it's not, <laughs> right. That's <laughs> exactly. it. You're missing the point here. You're missing the point, right? Yeah. You're seeing beyond, uh, you know, the physical reality. <laughs> yeah. Were people in India, I'm curious, was their relationship with uh, Maharaji different than sort of our Western perspective on him now? Like, what was he, was there any difference there or was it sort of intertwined? The, you know, the, the stories that are in the book, I mean, we're, we're talking about 150 people here who all had experiences of Maharaji. And the experiences they had are absolutely equivalent to what we experienced in India. Uh-huh. I, I don't feel that there is any difference other than that physical connection, which I was very attached to. You it know, wouldn't which be. Was, we're all, I mean, that's the other thing. Yeah. Like, just to uh, clarify for people, this book, Whisper in the Hearts, it's stories of people such as myself who never met Maharaji uh, in, in his body, in the flesh. And whereas the previous book, is not, it's the opposite. And yeah, Love Everyone, where it's all interviews with Westerners who had gone right. to India and been with him. And there were about 70 of them in that book. And this wow. has about 150 stories from people who'd never met him in the body. And you're saying you found that that experience that people are having, sort of the end result, is the same. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. Uh, yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Can I you, mean, can people you tell have us... darshan dreams, you know, dreams uh-huh. where you are actually in the presence of Maharaji, you know, which is more real than, you know, daily life, uh, you sure. know, with eyes open, you know. So, uh, yes, that that experience of darshan, of being in that presence, of being in the presence of that love is the same no matter how you get to it. Uh, could, could you highlight another story for us uh, from this that anything really just, I wanted to just bring up some voices from this. I'm looking at like Trudy's here. You want me to read Rada's story? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> How's that? And I, I should say that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the way these are transcribed where it was, uh, was a conversation, right? Like you talked to Most us. Most of these are conversations that were transcribed and then edited considerably. <laughs> uh, and uh, then some of them are letters that were sent mm. to either Ram Das or Krishna Das back in snail mail days. So the book sort of, you know, encompasses snail mail to Zoom. <laughs> yeah. So some of these are quite conversational, which is easy. Yes. To, uh, go yeah. Let's let's. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah I thought Radis. I'd read Radha's because what's interesting about her story is you see how any any little thing can be what clicks you in, (laughs) so to speak. That's for sure. So in 2017, a friend brought me to a Neem Karoli Baba, brought me a Neem Karoli Baba pendant that he picked up at the spring Ram Dass retreat in Maui. 
Though I had been reading Ram Dass since 2001, I hadn't yet created a connection to Maharaji, so I decided to wear the pendant every day to see how it felt. About a month later, Trevor, East Forest, who I had been friends with for a few years, stopped by. We both had recently gotten divorced. That day we were talking and he said, you know how sometimes the universe will give you a sign and then you know that's the direction you're supposed to go in? And the next moment he noticed my Maharaji necklace. It was like a bolt of lightning. Maharaji, he gasped. I just printed out a photo of him to help me. And now he's looking at me from your heart. Before that moment, we had never even talked about Ramdas. Neither of us were looking to get into a new relationship, but Maharaji was pointing the way. Christmas 2018, he gave me the book Love Everyone. I enjoyed the stories and felt like I was with Maharaji while reading the tales. Right after I'd finished the book, I had a spontaneous awakening where I literally felt I was in love with everyone, like an instant samadhi. I've never had anything like that before or since. A few months later, Trevor said he wanted to go to Maui to record Ramdas for his next album. I said, I'm going with you. When Ramdas finally wrapped the recording, Trevor was kneeling by Ramdas's chair. He had asked Ramdas for a name. Ramdas was staring out at the ocean, totally tapped into his loving awareness state. Then he turned towards Trevor and said, Krishna. Trevor was surprised and asked, That's it? Like stink or chair? Just Krishna? <laughs> Ramdas said, Krishna, just Krishna. Then he turned to me and smiled, saying, And you, you are Radha. And he slapped his thigh, laughing. It was a powerful moment, a beautiful confirmation of our new relationship. The very beginning of our connection was through Maharaji, from the pendant being there around my neck, then the book, then getting to share time together in Maui and creating the Ram Das X East Forest album, and finally receiving our names together. Radha and Krishna, constant companions and the embodiment of love and devotion. It's funny how those things work. Oh, she got a book, or she got a necklace. It's so much deeper than that. Something on the surface turns out to change your life so deeply to transform it. And Bob is doing that kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> Gives me uh, chills uh, remembering that moment. I want to give a little more context to that first story of the necklace. Well, because... if you read your story, then uh, you'll, they'll get <laughs> <Yeah>. the context. <laughs> That's true. I will read it. Um, but it's you know it's it's even deeper because I mean I'll read my story. Well, perhaps I should do that because then I can give you more context on that moment. But that that moment uh, that is spoken to there in a few sentences was really powerful for me and her too. And I just it was it it was a true miracle in the context of everything that was going on. Um, so let's see. I said to you. Uh, this is so you've got multiple chapters here, sort of broken into kind of categories of interactions, uh, dreams, many roads home, cry for help. Mine is in the one about various photos. So I went through a tough patch before I had any relationship with Maharaji. He was just someone that I read about in books or heard about in talks, an entity out there who was deceased and not part of my world. I'd gotten divorced and was living alone in a trailer in southern Utah, deep in the wilderness of the Grand Staircase National Monument. It was beautiful, but I was getting into what felt like a dark night of the soul. 
I decided I would run every day to do my yoga and get whatever help I could. I heard about the Love Everyone book on the Here and Now podcast with Raghu. And I noticed that by reading the book, I felt good. It engendered a warm feeling in me. There was a story in there about someone uh, who said if you had a picture of Maharaji, that just that alone could bring good business or good fortune. Well, how could that hurt? I typed Maharaji into Google. The first image that came up, I hit print. I stuck up the image on my wall. He's looking right at you in the picture, so I would notice him looking at me when I went to bed or woke up. I felt like I was getting messages planted into my consciousness, very fierce and loving communications, stern, like, you should go on that run, or no, you shouldn't read that. I developed a relationship with Maharaji through that picture, and I looked at this image for solace and as a litmus test for my ideas and feelings. Fast forward, I was sitting with my East Forest Music Management in a team meeting, and I had this idea of recording different spiritual teachers and putting them to music. My manager suggested I focus on a record with just Ramdas as he was a meaningful teacher to me. I had no connection to Love, Serve, Remember, but at the time, I was working on a different record, and the publicist for that album turned out to be Raghu's brother. I then met Raghu while doing his podcast, Mind Rolling, and I discovered we had mutual friends like Trevor Hall and MC Yogi, and I had my idea ready. Thankfully, Raghu said, yeah, you should do it. Here are the archives, have at it. And I was completely overwhelmed by the thousands of hours of Ram Dass material. I said to Raghu, look, I'm making an entire record about the legacy of Ram Dass's work. I've never met him. At a minimum, I need to look him in the eye, soul to soul. Raghu agreed. And a few months later, I went to Maui for a week to record Ram Dass. When I arrived on the first day, I'm setting up the mics and I'm quite nervous. I hit record, and Ramdas looks at me for the first time. Nothing, just pure loving silence. I'm thinking I need to ask a question. And over his shoulder, on the bookshelf, is a picture of Maharaji laughing. I look up at it, and I get a message, just like from the photo in my trailer. Maharaji is laughing and saying, Yeah, this is happening, and you're not on the outside. I'm not just someone you read about in books. You're on the inside. We're all on the inside of the blanket. You're part of this circle too. Ramdas was looking at me and nodding. Do you get it? You're love. I'm love. We're souls crossing paths. And I got it. It allowed me to let go of thinking I was just a fly on the wall who had randomly made my way into this private moment with Ramdas. I was part of this process as much as any of us. And Ram and Maharaji was guiding the process. So it was, you know. Before that, when I was very depressed and I had that picture and I was just kind of working with it, uh, and I had met Rod at the same... Rod and I were starting to get together for the first time, um, and I was really unaware of her, well, really much about her, and I, it seemed like a nascent connection for her too. And so there was one of these moments where I had driven up again, back up to Boise, which was far away, and I was anxiously awaiting seeing her, and just a little more context to that moment it's like when I had embraced her and was hugging her and uh, saying that to her it was the first time we'd really had any physical intimacy so I mean this is after months of like being deeply attracted to each other and coming out of divorces of you know 15 years so it's a big moment like energetically huge moment just like electricity and I said that to her almost like this lamenting like oh I just feel so held in this moment. 
And it's been so freaking hard, like really suicidal, difficult feelings in the last months. And like that moment felt like a sign. And I remember just like turning my head and looking at the nape of her neck and her breast where that little pendant was. I'd never seen it before. And it's like within inches away from my face was Maharazi, like from the trailer. Now it's like, as I was saying that, and as I more importantly was feeling that intense love from the feminine, from this, the grace of another being saying like, you can do, I mean, it was huge. It was huge. I, I burst open in that moment. And without any words beyond that, just the image, the, uh, the timing. And so I, for, I, <laughs> I don't know if he's even talking about it's difficult, but I, there's so many stories like this where it wraps up with synchronicity, mm-hmm. um, which I think is sometimes an important element of the potency of it. Did you find that was true across these other stories? Uh, in terms of the synchronicities that happen? Yeah. Or is that a through line you would see a lot? Yes. There are a lot of synchronicities. Sort of uh, you're in the right place at the right time with the right person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very personal though, right? It's like the meaning of it. It's very personal how everything happens. I mean, yeah. somebody gets handed a book just at the moment when they're in total despair. Somebody, you know, is brought to a kirtan for the first time, you know, yeah. after being in a horrible state and a friend says, come with me, let's go, you know, let's go sing. And right. something happens. Yeah. 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 This, this goes on and on. Like I think way back, Radha found Ramdas because Be Here Now, I shit you not, fell off of a bookshelf. <laughs> Like, it tends to do that in a bookstore like it was like <laughs> yes. what and you know and that led to this whole thing and then it even even like uh the way i got on to ragu's podcast was which some details there that were left out is i i had hired those publicists and they only got me one thing and it was that podcast and i remember being angry like you're shitty at your job you uh-huh. know what i mean like myself being all indignant and the publicist's brother was Raghu. So I was even more like, oh, g- good get. Like, you got me your brother. And right. here I am being a jerk <laughs> about it. And that's the reason I, that's led me to, to right, talking to you today. Yeah. I mean, all of it. It's just yeah. like, what do we know? You know, like, it's just, right. we get so wrapped up in our stuff and the stories. And right. I still get wrapped up in stuff in my That's why I think Maharaji is always bringing us from the head to the heart. Yes. Because it's the head that gets us so messed up. And that's that's the heart is the grace that is is Mm. there all around us. And it's so easy these days to be wrapped up in in the pain of our stories in the head. The story of all the stories going on. If anything, we know too many stories with our phones and the news. uh, And in many ways, like Reading stories like this is an anecdote. It's kind of a a balancer, a, a reminder, and that's what that's what it was for me back when I would just read a few every night. It was a way of just like assuaging some of that anxiety. Right. right. Stories really carry the essence that that wants to be carried forth. When you think back, you know, to when everything was an oral tradition. Yeah. You know, everything was spoken and heard. It was all all through sound. Right. 
And sound has a vibration, as you know very well. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And so when we read stories, we are sort of getting the sound of that feeling. We're getting the, the um, essence of the love that is being transmitted. And all we did in India, and when I say we hung out with Maharaji, yes, when we weren't with him, all we were doing was either telling or listening to stories about him. Mm. <laughs> it was mm. really our entire sadhana <laughs> was storytelling and story wow. listening. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And how has your evolution of that time and those stories evolved for you? Or matured after decades, you know. Do, do they have hold the same sort of kernel, or is do you have a new perspective on it? Uh, actually, I, I don't have a new perspective on it. it it's sort of like I, I found my channel and I stayed in it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, my work has turned out to be. I mean, Maharaji used to call me private secretary. He said I was no longer Ramdas's secretary; I was his. <laughs> and he used to call me in English, private secretary. And so basically what I have wound up doing is working on book after book about him. You yeah. know, I worked on both of Dada Mukherjee's books and on KK's book and on, I, you know, one after another of these. And then started pulling the stories together with Love Everyone. And after Love Everyone, people kept coming up to me and going, well, I didn't meet Maharaji, but this happened to me. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that led to Whisper in the Heart, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, and to me, I, I mean, I still cry reading some of these stories in the book. And this is after I've edited them 600 times, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so right. it still produces, you know, that, uh, that connection. It still enables you to step into that space. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a song on the record called You're a Guru, and there's this phrase in the background that you hear Ramdas saying, you're a guru, you're a guru, over and over again, as he's telling his story of uh, sort of like about someone else being the guru, in, in essence, Maharaji. And I, I, that's what I like about this interplay of it all, just mm -hmm. this not just worshiping an other, but we're essentially worshiping all that is that we are too. And in that way, it's, uh, it is so far beyond mind, right? It's, it's, um, it's so far it, beyond it's, mind. It's, just, it's feeling beyond it more than anything. It's just yeah. isness. Uh, even just like you could take it from any perspective, like from a Zen perspective or like the nothingness, it's that, right? It's, mm -hmm. Well, and, Joseph Goldstein is the one who's always saying, uh, we call it emptiness, you call it love. <laughs> right, right. And and I might call it grace, but it does feel like if there's this yin-yang that is creating some kind of movement that is creation in life, that it, it has to be just slightly skewed in one direction to create the momentum. Mm. And from... <laughs> I, I don't have say I have any answers, but from experiences and various psychedelic uh, experiences in my own life, it just feels like that is by the grace. Grace is that it's fifty point one percent love, or whatever. You know, or, or it's enough just to like we're always held, we're always held, always. and thank God, thank God. I mean, truly, thank God, because there have been moments where I have been held, and the alternative is abject horror and it's like but it's not and it can't be anything else and that's sort of the remembering of what the guru is to, at least for me in this moment is that 
it is love, it is grace amidst all that is happening. It's all inside that. And not only that, but in hearing these stories that are in Whisper, you know, or hearing stories from people who have not met him, but are having that kind of darshan, that kind of being in the presence of that kind of love, it also helps relieve our basic fear, which is the fear of death. Mm. Because obviously this is all happening beyond bodies. Right, right. And that is you know, our basic fear, right? And that That's, is our basic fear. There's yeah. the, the, de- you know, the fear of physical death, but there's also the fear of ego death. That, you mm. know, if I become that uh, nobody <laughs> that Ram Dass is always talking about becoming nobody, that, you know, it's the fearful state. Who am I going to be? What's going to happen? How, how can that be? How can I not exist? <laughs> right. And yet when we connect to somebody like Maharaji, the fear of that kind of death starts to loosen. Which is a big deal. Which is, uh, I mean, <laughs> for me, it's, it huge. Is. I mean, it's a strange predicament we find ourselves yeah. in, right? I mean, uh, to be incarnate on some sort of journey that it, it needs to be a mystery at all. Um, it seems like that creates the stage for something to happen. Otherwise, there's nothing to happen. But it's mm-hmm. still odd and and confounding. It's, I mean, it's the essence of life, but it's it's weird and it's hard. <laughs> and so any any kind of hand we can have that's holding our hand along the way, especially these days, mm-hmm. it's so needed. You know, it it comes from like you said, others and sort of telling stories is is at the end of the day the oldest hu- human assistance and right. this is a gather around of, the of fire stories. you know yeah, right? and and share the space share the community share the you know what binds you all together and in, into a oneness yeah do you think you could read us one more before sure. we close any particular well, I'm, I'm definitely leaving it out to you. You've read it 600 times. Uh, I'm so. just going to read the one that follows uh, that follows your story, actually, which is okay. Hanuman Das Kane, who's the you know who's been in Taos taking care of the temple for decades. Love Hanuman Das, yeah. Right, and uh, so let me read his story. And this is uh, actually he's the only one I have two stories of in the book, and this is not the one I was thinking of. Let me. Let me go well, find he is the other of, uh, he's in a very a lofty status there. He's got two. <laughs> I know. I don't know quite how that Let happened. me see if I can find him in here. Uh, let me see. I see another Hanuman Das. But... Under appearances. Hanuman Das, page 18. Okay, got it. Hold on. There he is. This is the one I want to read. I was living at the Taos ashram and managing it. One morning I was getting ready to leave town when a devotee called and said, can you pick me up at the bus station? I asked a friend to take my truck and go pick her up. On his way back, he ran a red light and the police stopped him. He didn't have a driver's license, so they did a check on the vehicle, my vehicle. I'm sitting at the dining room table in the ashram and suddenly this devotee comes running in and says, the police are coming to arrest you. They had told him if he brought them to me, they would not give him a ticket. 
The next thing I know, a policeman walked in and said, are you John Kane? I have a warrant for your arrest. I was in a lungi, which is like a sarong cloth around the waist for men, and a t-shirt. So I asked if I could go put on my pants. When I came out, he was standing in front of the big picture of Neem Curly Baba on the wall in the kitchen. He said, where is this guy? He's our guru. He left his body in 73. Don't give me that shit, the policeman said. I see him here all the time. I see this guy walking around with his plaid blanket. I go to see what he's up to, and he turns a corner and disappears. That's happened to me three times in the last two weeks. Okay, but he really is not in his body. <laughs> the police officer took me to the station. It was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I said, well, do I have to spend the night in jail? Yeah, the bail bondsmen are gone, so I'll have to put you in jail until you see a judge. As he said that, a bondsman walked in and said he could write up a bond for my bail for $125. This was in the late 80s, before I ever thought about having a credit card. I didn't even think about bringing money with me. I reached in my pocket, and there was exactly $125 in there. Okay, Maharaji, let's do it. <laughs> I went home. I had a flight scheduled for 8.30 that night. I was driving down the highway, and suddenly I saw this specter of a skinny coyote. How was it even alive? It was in the middle of the road and wouldn't move, so I pulled off the road. As I pulled off the road, my engine exploded. It was snowing, and I was 10 miles from town. I hitched hike back to the house. As I walked in, the phone rang. A devotee said she had a gun and was going to kill herself. I talked her down. She's good. She's still alive. I thought, okay, Baba, you did all of that just so I would be here to get that phone call. As it turned out, the flight was canceled that night because of the snowstorm. The next day, I went to the police station to find out what I needed to do. They said, we don't know what happened, but there's no warrant for your arrest. There is nothing. We're very sorry. Here's your money back, and please forgive us. We'll come and visit you. The following day, the policeman that arrested me brought five policemen to the ashram and introduced them to all of us. He kept telling all the other police that he sees this guru, this guy who has left his body, but he's still here. So take care of this place. <laughs> you know. Talk about synchronicities. <laughs> see, that's packed full of them. Yeah. Yes. But that's what made yeah. me think of that story. <laughs> Even though with synchronicities or let's call it coincidences, whatever you want to call it. Um, you get to choose like all of that stuff could happen to Hanuman Das and Hanuman Das could say, well, it's remarkable, but things happen. That's crazy. But Hey, you know, that is statistically possible that it, although rare that all these things could happen. And the fact that we each get to choose how we view things, how we accept the gifts that are offered to us, that's grace. That's faith. That's faith. That's yeah. what, the, that's beautiful. Like, that's the gift to us is like, and neither choice is wrong. It's more just divergent paths where, as a friend of mine says, you know, all choices are valid and everyone graduates. It just, there's no time. It's yeah. like, it's all going back to the source anyway. So, but isn't that beautiful that like we, we can accept the gifts when we were ready or when we want to, but they're, they're offered to us in proportion to how we open our hearts and our eyes and our ears. Yeah. And this book is full of that. Mm. Well, that was the idea. <laughs> I mean, um, my friend Radha, 
not your rider, but my rider. <laughs> it's sort she? of my my Bob yeah. control. I mean, Bob is is the uh, feeling, the emotion, you know, behind something. And as I said, uh, if she didn't shed a tear or two over the story, it got eliminated. <laughs> because <laughs> that was that was how I sort of people ask me, how did you pick which ones go in the book? Because there were many that didn't. And uh, it was really based on, well, did it evoke that feeling? Yeah. Well, I have the same litmus test for music. I, I even mm. use the same word. I'm like, does it have the bob? Does so, it have the bob? Uh, it's just right, about exactly. feeling. Does it have the vibe? Um, right. right. Well, I appreciate that you put uh, this this book out, and I want to thank you for taking the time to talk about it. I assume this is available wherever people read books. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Or you can go to ramdas.org and get it. I think Hanuman Das, uh, Hanuman uh, Krishna Das had some on his site. And of course, Amazon is always there and bookstores. Well, we'll yeah. put the link in the show notes. So, I mean, right yeah. now on folks' phones, if they want to just check it out, there's a link right there. And uh, anything else you'd like to add or any other information we need? Uh, not. Um, yeah, just ask great. the question. <laughs> I respond Wonderful. to questions. <laughs> well, thank you, Parvati Marcus. I really appreciate the, uh, the time and the work. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks, Parvati, for coming coming on the show. A real joy to talk. And thank you for the book, uh, for, for collating and, and editing, gathering all those stories, and for sharing your own. Uh, Whisper in the Hark, Heart is something I've been reading a chapter or two every night and every morning. And it's been a really beautiful ride. Beautiful ride. So check it out. This song you're hearing in the background is the You're a Guru Slow Meadow Rework. And that is off the Reworks album. It's a collection of remixes or reworks from the Ram Dass album. Uh, thank you to, again, everyone on our council. And thanks for everyone for coming to join us on the tour and helping to spread the word November 1st through 20th. If you can make it out to that in the United States, the Western Mountain and West Coast, can't wait, coming right up. And it's a ceremony tour, so you get to lie down. All right, friends, uh, you keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit, but if you do, you know what to do. Do it with grace. I felt I was the captain of my ship. And God decides.